Hello and welcome to Influence of Influencers, the podcast where we peel back the layers of social media glam to reveal the real impact of digital personalities on our lives and society. I'm George Katsanavis, your host for today's episode. We're going to be diving deep into a topic that is as intriguing as it is important, understanding the relationship between influencers and the public. We're going to explore how these digital trendsetters are reshaping the way we think, shop, and even live our lives. From viral trends to heartfelt campaigns, we'll discuss how influencers are more than just faces on your feed. They're powerful forces driving public opinion and consumer behavior. But what does this mean for us, the audience? Are we passive consumers, active participants, or something in between? To help us navigate these questions, we'll be having guests on today's episode such as PR expert Curtis Newbold, who is a professor at the University of Utah, who will be sharing some insights from his own personal career in the PR industry. So whether you're a casual Instagram scroller, a TikTok fanatic, or just curious about the world of social media influencers, this episode is for you as not only does it include interviews with experts in the industry, but also some stories in conversations on the topic as well. To kick off today's episode, we have a fascinating story brought to us by Josie Hines. I'm so sorry. I am so sorry to anybody that saw that. No excuses for it. I'm disappointed. You know, I'm sorry for my shortcomings. I'm sorry. I've made a severe and continuous lapse in my judgment, and I don't expect to be forgiven. I'm simply here. Today, it almost feels unavoidable for someone in the public eye to find themselves canceled. James Charles apologizes after allegations surfaced that Jeffree Star breaks his silence and apologizes to James. Cancel culture often takes the form of criticism or scrutiny on social media and often in an effort to remove status from some public figure. The value of cancel culture then becomes a little bit difficult to evaluate. Accountability is, after all, important, but is it ever taken too far? A 2021 Pew Research Center study looked at this very question. What does the general American public tend to think about cancel culture? I think that cancel culture is a pretty extreme way to punish public figures for mistakes they made, but I do think that usually the things that they are being canceled for should be brought up. Lona is a college freshman and an active social media user. And Lona isn't really alone in her thoughts about cancel culture. In fact, her thoughts represent a wider struggle with the American public on whether or not cancel culture means holding people accountable or whether it's simply punishment for someone's mistakes. According to the Pew Research study, 26% of American adults who were familiar with the term cancel culture thought that cancel culture was the censorship of speech or mean-spirited actions intended to hurt others. 49% of American adults who are familiar with the term said it was actions taken to hold someone accountable. I think cancel culture is a really slippery slope. That was Emma, a senior in college. She says she thinks cancel culture can promote bullying or ganging up on people. It's easy to just sit behind a screen and say mean things about someone, but she does think that people in the public eye should face repercussions when they do something harmful. In some way, I do think that people that do not good things should have consequences as such of 
you know, losing followers, losing support, not having as big as a platform anymore, things like that. I think that's a valid consequence of doing something that's, you know, obviously not okay. But this then begs a further question, which is, does cancel culture actually work? Last summer, Jenna made a video announcing her decision to quit YouTube for an indefinite amount of time. Now, Jeffree Star is quitting YouTube? To answer this question, we'll look at one YouTuber in particular, Shane Dawson. It's finally happening! Hey, what's up, you guys? Yes, today I'm going to be making a giant red velvet milkshake. All right, let's get started. Shane Dawson started posting on his YouTube channel in 2008, where he uploaded skits, many of which would later be called out for their offensive content. This content included stereotypes and, in some cases, even showed Dawson in blackface. Dawson's content would later shift to participating in online challenges, creating reaction videos, or trying weird foods or hacks. Old school Oreos, you know what I mean? Like, I'm trying to keep this in old school drink. In more recent years, specifically the years right before Shane Dawson got cancelled, Dawson started creating videos about conspiracy theories and was also creating multi-episode docu-series. And it's from one of the biggest conspiracy theorists I know, my own brother. And what he told me was... Then, in 2020, a video of Dawson making inappropriate gestures in front of a poster of Willow Smith, who was at the time 11, started circulating around the internet. As Dawson started receiving mass amounts of criticism over this video, old tweets and old footage of offensive content Dawson had created also started resurfacing with it. YouTube then announced that they were demonetizing all of Dawson's content on his channel. I remember when he got canceled online, I immediately unfollowed him on every social media platform and I remember feeling embarrassed that I had liked him and that I must be a bad person too for not having noticed that he had done bad things in his videos. Dawson posted an apology video after receiving mass amounts of hate over these videos and then announced he was taking a break from YouTube. He was gone for roughly a year but has since returned with new docuseries and new videos of conspiracy theories. According to a fandom page for Shane Dawson, he had over 22 million subscribers in 2019. Today, he has just over 19 million, meaning he lost roughly 3 million subscribers in the course of 4 years. Today, he has an average of about 2.5 to 3 million views on his recent videos, despite having amassed over 20 million views on several of his videos prior to this controversy. Today, when we talk about YouTubers, Shane Dawson definitely is not as big of a name as he used to be, although arguably YouTubers as a whole are being outshined by a new wave of influencers from TikTok. Still, it's clear that Shane Dawson is not as popular as he used to be. Thank you, Josie, for that insightful story. It really sets the stage for our next segment. We had the privilege of having Sophia Denman sit down with Curtis Newbold, a renowned PR expert. They delved into the dynamics of influencers in public relations. Let's listen in. I am here with Curtis Newbold, who is the clinical associate professor in strategic communication at the University of Utah. Okay, so how do you think influencers or even like celebrities 
can build a relationship with their fan base? Well, I mean, that's a great question. You know, I think authenticity uh, seems to be a, the biggest, most important factor, at least at least for influencers, especially starting out. And by authenticity, I mean that they really understand who they're speaking to, and they they don't try to be something that they're not. So they have a, a real connection with with their audience, and that tends to be something that. Um, their followers enjoy. They, they feel like this is their real personality. It's who they are and what they, um, what they love and admire. Um, there's always uh, maybe a fine line they have to walk at some point because as they, as they grow in popularity and influence, more and more companies gravitate towards using them as a sponsor or a brand ambassador for their company. And at that point, um, you know, followers start to question authenticity um, as they start really promoting products and services and it becomes more of a marketing thing. So I think it's, you know, I think for influencers in particular, they have to really um, walk that line between really speaking to their consumer base, but also, you know, making a profit because at the end of the day, it's business and it's how, the, how they run their business. Celebrities are a little bit different mm-hmm. because they usually become famous first for different reasons, whether it's for music or sports or whatever it is that made them famous. And so now they're trying to find companies that, that they like and that they can feel comfortable um, speaking for. So but it's a little bit different process. Mm-hmm. How do you like view influencers? Like kind of what's your opinion on them? Uh, influencers come in a lot of different varieties. Uh, you know, I think sometimes we become familiar with fashion bloggers or um, lifestyle bloggers or travel bloggers that that become influencers in their space for different reasons. Um, But there are a lot of uh, like business bloggers or people like I know I follow people on Twitter and LinkedIn that are strictly focused in data visualization, who I would I would call influencers in data visualization and in business. And and I appreciate having people who have a lot of experience and expertise in certain areas that can provide a voice and also tips, tricks and ideas for these different um, areas. Uh, but I also know that s- some become popular just because of their interesting personality. And, and a lot of people will follow uh, them for those reasons, not necessarily because they have a, a, a clear, a clearly defined talent, although they definitely have a talent. If you can get a lot of followers, you're talented in something. But I think that one of the issues I have maybe is the spread of misinformation where um, people are become an influencer in a particular topic, but aren't necessarily the most expert in those areas. And so I think there's always a concern for the spread of, you know, we talk about fake news a lot, but also just the spread of misinformation. There's misinformation, disinformation, and information. Information is the good stuff. Misinformation is like, it's well-intentioned, but inaccurate and I think we get a lot of that from influencers where they're trying to do the right thing they're trying to communicate the right thing but they're not necessarily they haven't done the research or they're not you know trained journalists so they might be sending out the wrong information then disinformation is the really bad stuff where it's intentionally misleading like lying to people in order to create a political point or to get them to buy something so that does happen in influencer in the world of influencing and that's the stuff I worry about. But um, I do like, there's a lot of good in, in the world of social media influencing. Mm-hmm. So. so do you think it's up to the public to determine whether a person should or like should not have a platform? 
Yeah, I mean, we live in a society that values democracy. In other words, you know, freedom of speech and freedom of uh, voice and freedom of the press. And so um, I think, you know, each person should have a right to say what they need to say and want to say. And if it's not well received and the public doesn't like that, um, I think then, you know, that, that tends to naturally happen anyway. But um, I think where it starts to get a little bit tricky is if you look at some of these uh, these uh, these companies like Twitter, formerly known as Twitter, now it's X, of course, um, or Facebook or Meta, you know, Instagram, some of those these large companies, they are um, publicly traded companies. Um, so I think we have to have some sort of regulation on them because it is uh, publicly traded. In other words, it's owned by a society. It's, it's, it's kind of an interesting case study in introducing a communal voice, almost like a, a communist voice um, in a democratic society. In other words, we should all have the right to um, own this thing together. Um, so sometimes when we get a government that steps in and says, you have to stop allowing this type of conversation to happen on social media, um, it's, it just creates a lot of friction. I don't know necessarily if that's the right thing or the wrong thing. It seems to come on a case-by-case -case basis. But, I mean, I think legally, yes, they should probably have the right to say, um, we don't like what you're saying, and so please... Well, I think they should have the right to say that, but the person should legally still have the right to kind of continue expressing their voice. Um, unless they're doing harm, um, you know, or injuring people or, or whatever else. Um, like from a more PR perspective, what would you do if like a client you had who was an influencer was canceled? What would this, like what steps would you take? You know, as a company, when you're talking about PR, you want to go back to your mission and your vision and your values. And if that person still represents your mission, vision and values, um, and you believe in what they what they have said and stand for, I think, I mean, at the end of the day, it becomes a business decision. You don't want to completely kill your company, but you want to stand up for what you as a, an organization believes. Um, I think a good example of this might be with Nike and Colin Kaepernick and the NFL. You know, um, Nike stuck with Kaepernick while many, uh, many decided to drop him. Um, and I don't know whether or not that hurt Nike or not, but Nike decided this is their mission, their vision, and they want to stick with that. And it doesn't seem to have hurt Nike too much. I think Nike benefits from having many different celebrities with many different um, perspectives, and I think they were able to kind of move forward with that. But, um, you know, sometimes as, a, as an organization, you're, you're not always that lucky. And, and sometimes... If your celebrity does something that's totally against your values, you have to drop them immediately. I think a good example of that is Jared Fogle with Subway. And this was before social media really was a big thing, but he was their big spokesperson. He became famous for eating. He was um, uh, very large, probably 350 pounds, and ate Subway sandwiches every day for lunch and ended up losing like 150 pounds. Mm -hmm and became this big celebrity because of that, became a spokesperson for Subway, was on many of their commercials for many years. Um, and it was a really successful marketing campaign for Subway. But then Jared Fogle was arrested for um, 
sexually molesting uh, minors mm-hmm. um, and is, is currently in prison now for that. Obviously, Subway want, does, want, doesn't want to have anything to do with Jared Fogel, and it was in their best interest to immediately say, we do not support or condone that in any way, and we are dropping him as of immediate, you know. So uh, that was a case where, obviously, he was arrested and thrown in jail, but still, I think, you know, the public has a voice in what they feel about that, and as a company, you have to say, I agree with the public, or I don't. Um, and you know, at the end of the day, it comes back to your mission, vision, and values. And so I, I wouldn't want to say as a blanket statement, we should either keep endorsing this person or we should just allow them to be canceled, but rather what, how does it affect us um, and what we stand for? Are there any examples like besides Jared Fogel that you would say were a PR, like company handled a celebrity's cancellation really badly? One that's coming to mind is Tiger Woods, but I don't know that his apology was necessarily bad. I think he did a pretty decent job of recovering. Mm-hmm. Um, he's an example, again, where many companies decided to drop him because it created such a controversy in the public sphere. Uh, but, you know, Nike is another one that stuck with him through that. And But his apology seemed genuine. Um, he worked very hard to kind of overcome some of his personal problems. And I think that's the key for a celebrity when they make a mistake. They have to apologize quickly and then take care of their personal problems. And I think if you can do that, the problems tend to, they, they tend to at least go out of the public's mind. You know, we forget about it. We, we seem to appreciate the, the apology and we move forward. Um, if they continue to push back or they don't apologize or they don't, you know, admit to any wrongdoing, it, it creates more issues. So what is your opinion, like broadly, of cancel culture? You know, I do, I think, and hopefully this speaks to this question, uh, one of the concerns I have with social media in general is that we have a tendency to look for the negative in people. It's just a very, it feels very heavily negative. And that's not always the case. And there's a lot of good things on social media, of course. Um, but we live in a culture that is kind of, we, we've kind of trained an entire generation to look for what's wrong with people um, and attack them based on things that they've done. You know, the world has evolved a lot since social media has been around. You know, social media has really only been around since about 2004. So we're looking at like 20 years. Uh, I mean, it was around before that, but Facebook really was kind of the the first big social media platform after MySpace um, that took over. And so we're talking 20 years of of content. And um, the world was just different in the 1990s. You know, you look at, uh, I know actors like Jennifer Aniston has had to sort of make comments about uh the the friend the show friends where um it had very little diversity in the show and so she's been criticized for that when it wasn't really she didn't write the show she didn't produce the show she was an actor in the show but in the early and mid 90s um the discussion on diversity equity and inclusion was not a big thing for i mean obviously for not I mean, this was an unfortunate thing, but we just weren't trained in those things. We didn't think about it as much because it wasn't uh, as easy to talk about. So I get I get concerned about attacking people for things that, you know, from a different time in a different place. Because is that Jennifer Aniston's fault? In in my opinion, probably not. You know, um, I mean, is it, are there things she could have done, perhaps? 
but it was just a different time in a different place. I think we have to be careful about looking for all the negatives and, and sort of assuming the worst in people. And rather, I, I mean, I, I would like to think we can give people the benefit of the doubt and look for well-intentioned people who are, are open about it. And I think Jennifer Aniston, I don't know why I keep talking about her, but she was a good example of somebody who did come out. She apologized, not necessarily directly like saying this was my fault, but saying, you know, it was a different time, and I wish we had been more diverse. It wasn't something we thought about, and we could have done better, and we didn't. But just being open about that and talking about it, and I think most people are pretty comfortable with that. So mm-hmm. I think we have to I look for the positive um, in people, and um, there's a lot of good mm-hmm. out there. That was truly an enlightening conversation. It was nice to hear some of Curtis's perspectives on cancel culture, especially having a background in PR. I really thought that there were some key takeaways for all those interested in the influencer space, and now we're going to dive deeper into the topic of cancel culture. Cancel culture is often a topic that comes up in the influencer space. Today I'm joined by Josie Hines, Marley Hudgens, and Sophia Denman, and we're going to discuss this phenomenon. So let's dive in. Uh, I think cancel culture is kind of dumb. Obviously, people who do terrible things are, or like, are like racist, or I don't know, something really bad like that shouldn't have a platform, because that can be dangerous to the younger generation who absorbs everything. But I don't think it's up to the public to ruin someone's life, ruin someone's life, like just because an influencer believes in something that other people don't really agree with. But I think people will just kind of look for anything to cancel people these days. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think cancel culture can be really nuanced. Um, Like, I think that most people who get canceled aren't actually canceled because they still have a platform and can make money. So I think cancel culture is more of an entertainment thing for people. It's entertaining for people to watch someone get attacked online. Of course, if someone has actually done something wrong, like you said, they should be held accountable. But I don't really think that that is what cancel culture is really about today. It's more of just something for people online to talk about. Yeah, that's an interesting point, and I agree. Um I think cancel culture is just tricky. I think on one hand, like having your entire history online is tough, especially when that history includes mistakes that people can go back and find. Um, but I think for the most part, it's important to foster an idea of an account of accountability and learning from mistakes. But to me, cancel culture just seems to want to almost obliterate people for their mistakes and create this idea that you can't learn or grow after doing something bad. Um, so honestly, I don't really know what to think about it. It seems less impactful when almost everyone in the public eye is being canceled for one thing or another, too. When it comes to cancel culture, there are lots of different perspectives. Cancel culture is huge and has continued to rise in recent years. I believe that cancel culture can help remove public figures who don't necessarily have the best morals from all platforms. Um, cancel culture can be a good way for influencers who have done wrong to accept punishment for their actions. I believe like no one is untouchable despite your status and what you may think, and that's where cancel cancel culture can play a role. An influencer I recall being canceled was Steve Will Do It, and I'm not surprised because his content consisted of excessive drinking, and he had a big audience of young people not even old enough to drink alcohol, so... um, 
in the eyes of the platform supporting him would be allowing him to promote this lifestyle to young people, which wouldn't be right. So I could see cancel culture working in that sense. An influencer I follow that has been canceled probably like a million times already is Trisha Paytas. Um, although I think it's fair to say she can't really ever be canceled because it doesn't seem that she really cares. And I guess that's why I kind of like her as an influencer because she just doesn't really listen to the public eye, which it's very hard to find influencers that do that these days. But I'm not going to lie, she has done some racial and racially insensitive things. She kind of likes to cosplay as different races, which is problematic. Um, and I definitely see people post on TikTok all the time saying that Trisha shouldn't have a platform anymore. Um, and most influencers in these scenarios would have a PR team concocting apology videos, but Trish just doesn't really care. She doesn't do much to fix it, and she kind of just keeps pushing out content, um, which is very different to most influencers. Um, I think it's her inability to care or form to societal standards. Um, I think that's what keeps her successful and people, including myself, hooked. Yeah, I miss Jenna Marbles. (laughs) Um, I know one person that I remember seeing get canceled was David Dobrik. Um, I hadn't really been watching him as much at that point but I was really shocked to hear all the details that were coming out about the kind of work environment that he created for his vlogs um and it was weird too because I had watched the exact things that people were criticizing and being entertained by them which was kind of confusing for me um a lot of the pranks or stunts that people would do in the videos it later came out that they were being forced to do that or that it was really sensational and kind of put the safety of the people in the vlog at risk and even their, I guess, integrity at some points. Um, So even though they didn't want to do that or felt um, that their emotional or physical well-being was being put in danger, they still did it for the vlog. Um, So it was really weird to kind of hear all these things that I had watched and been entertained by being called out for how they were produced. And it made me question my ability to assess whether or not something I'm watching is almost ethical, I guess. Between the conversations about cancel culture, as well as diving into some of Curtis Newbold's perspectives as a PR professional, it was truly intriguing to see how influencers are not just shaping trends, but also perceptions and opinions. Their ability to connect with the public on a personal level, while at the same time being elevated as icons of modern culture, creates a unique relationship dynamic. As we wrap up this episode, I want to leave you with a question to think about. How do influencers impact your daily choices, and where do you draw the line between inspiration and influence? 